This is Chris Slade, former University of Virginia defensive end, graduate of 1993, back on the staff at UVA. Excited to be back coaching um, my old stomping grounds. You're listening to the Jerry Ratcliffe Show. Welcome to another edition of the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast. And today we have one of the great doctors from UVA Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, someone I've known for a long time and have incredible respect for, and, and I'm sure everybody at UVA in the community does too, uh, Dr. John McKnight, the UVA uh, team physician. And uh, uh, gosh, I, you've got so many honors and titles, Doc, I don't know where to start, but <laughs> Uh, you were you were the guy that represented UVA throughout the uh, COVID uh, pandemic uh, in, in terms of the ACC representative, and uh, what a great job uh, you did with that. Uh, UVA was amazing coming through all that with no more than what they did, but uh, uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Always good to be with you, Jerry. Thank you for those kind words, and uh yeah, and I'm glad we don't have to spend the bulk of our segment talking about COVID this time around. We, <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we spent more than our share uh, addressing that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be not over this, but certainly in a much better place uh, with regard to athletics. That's that's for sure, and in the society in general, I guess. But uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Very encouraging. Again, Dr. John McKnight. Uh, UVA's team physician, and and today we're going to discuss concussions, uh, which has really been in the news the the past uh, less than a week, really, with uh, Miami quarterback Tua uh, Tagaviola um, apparently looking like he was suffered a concussion Sunday, uh, caused a lot of controversy nationally, and then he was injured again last night. Uh, his uh, his trainer Nick Hicks reported that that uh, just before nine this morning that Tua is doing well. Negative X-rays, no internal bleeding. We'll get an MRI and second opinion, but all things look good at the moment. Now a lot of people are suspicious of of uh, the Dolphins staff because of. Uh, they thought he was had an obvious concussion on Sunday and was put back into the game and then uh, was re-injured last night and helped off the field. Uh, John, I know you you saw some of that. What what was your reaction when you first saw that? Well, I think uh, yeah, I think anybody who saw the game or saw the highlights um, on Sunday, um, you know, lo looking for the patterns that we look for. In individuals who have suffered a concussion or or at least suspicious for a concussion, I mean, he's, he certainly had some of those features, and uh, and so I think you know when when I'm watching games and I see that sort of thing happen, I pretty much will say, well, I think that guy's probably had a had a concussion. Um, but but in fairness to the Miami staff and, and to the NFL as well, you know, obviously I don't know anything about what transpired in their evaluation thereafter. But, um, you know, always important to remember that the NFL has an independent neurologic consultant. Um, and so when people leave the field for those evaluations, um, there, there's somebody who isn't affiliated with either team that, that's evaluating that person to determine their safety to, to go back in the game. And, you know, I, I would tell you that one of the biggest challenges we have on the sideline covering a football game is that, you know, many cases when kids come out of a game having um, either taken a really big hit or having given you some 
body language on the field that would make you suspicious about a concussion. Uh, the things that we do on the sideline, some of those kids do very well. Um, they're, they're cognitively very clear and they can answer your questions and they're fully oriented and they clearly don't have any, you know, kind of terrible neurologic things going on. And, and so th this is our challenge as providers to, to say, well, I can't unsee what I saw on the field, which makes me nervous. Um, but the young man sitting in front of me doesn't really look like a guy who's had a concussion. And so um, we take our time and we kind of go through our algorithm of things. But admittedly, there are circumstances where, you know, the, the determination is made to return that individual to play. And, you know, later that day or even the next day, then it will sort of become apparent like, yeah, I think they actually did have an event, they just didn't fully declare themselves at the time of the, of the game. And so I don't know if that was the case with, with Tua or, uh, or, or what his circumstance was. Um, yet last night left no doubt. Right. Um, and, and we have, uh, we have seen individuals uh, on our team over the years um, do that very same thing that Tua was doing. They're lying on their back and, and their hands are sort of awkwardly held out in, in front of them. And, and that's sort of a, a stunned brain, kind of a, a reflexive uh, position or, or posture that they assume. And so you see that uh, it's a done deal that that's what's happened. So what's going to be interesting is to see what his recovery timeframe looks like, because if he had an event on Sunday and he had a, a arguably a much more severe event yesterday, um, it may take him a number of weeks before he clears. Um, wow. because that, that's unfortunately how concussions work. And so if your brain is unsettled, from a previous injury, and then you have a second impact like that, um, you know, it can really prolong the, the natural history of recovery. So we'll see how that plays out. And again, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that any anything wrong happened there. I, I will freely admit that sometimes it is it is challenging to know what you're dealing with, um, you know, in the heat of battle. So I wish him the best. That was a scary thing. And sort of glad to hear that his uh, athletic trainer is providing a lot of reassuring information about his health this morning. Yeah, I guess, you know, back in the old days, uh, you hear players talk about, well, I got my bell rung and stuff like that. And and uh, a lot of times they'd come to the sidelines and you would hear stories about how many fingers am I holding up or who's president of the United States. I, I'm, I'm sure it's a little more complicated now than, yeah. than in those days. What is, are there any certain uh, immediate protocols you go through on something like that? Yeah, there's a there's an algorithm of things that we we take every um, potentially concussed individual through, and and so it's a it's a nice mix of things. And so there's some you know your basic you know we sort of laugh about orientation things. What day of the week is it? And who are we playing? And what half are we in? And, and those sorts of things. But um, higher level cognitive challenges, um, we 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 assess their memory. We give them a bunch of things that they have to remember, and so they've got to kind of process that information immediately when we give it to them. And then after we've done everything else, then we'll, we'll ask them again, like, you know, tell, tell me those five words I asked you to remember. And, um, you know, some of the kids are very sharp on that. And some of them sort of look at you blankly, like, did we talk about words? <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that makes my decision very easy there. Um, we have them process numbers in reverse order. We have them give us the months of the year in reverse order, which, doesn't sound like that would be all that challenging, but it, it is. Um, we look at their balance. We look at their neurologic exam and their eye movements. There's a bunch of things. And so, yeah, as opposed to 15 or 20 years ago, where basically it was just questions 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I mean, some guys with concussions are, are actually remarkably clear and they can process information pretty well. Um, and so that, that can be a challenge. And then the other part, particularly in the heat of battle is, I mean, you have to extract some information from the individual about how they feel. And, um, you know, nobody who plays a contact sport, uh, lacks awareness about what you're, why you're asking them. Uh, do you have a headache? Are you dizzy? Do you feel sick to your stomach? And that sort of thing. And, and so, again, you hope that you've built rapport with those individuals and they understand the importance of giving you accurate information and that they're upfront with you about what they're feeling. Um, but admittedly, I, I'm sure there are times when that isn't the case. And then the other is that adrenaline is a tremendous uh, um, uh, mask. Um, for, for things. And so when people are really, you know, cranked up in the middle of a game and particularly if it's in an exciting juncture of the game and they're attending to other things, they're still trying to watch what's going on in the field and what have you, you know, I, I, they may indeed be experiencing some of those things, but I think their body just sort of doesn't tell them. Um, and so I, I don't think they're being, uh, you know, kind of vol- voluntarily uh, inaccurate. I, I think they really just don't feel that until the dust is settled and so forth. So it really does make the, the job of the evaluator tough, but we, yeah, we have a, we have an algorithm of things that we take those folks through. And if, if you endorse feeling okay, and you can do all the things we've asked you to do, then, you know, most of the time, unless I saw something crazy on the field, that person's going to go back, you know, in and, uh, and be able to participate and, and they do okay. Have you ever had a case where uh, guys have tried to fool you and get back in the game and you have to like take their helmet away from them and things like that? We hear stories about that every now and then. So I, I learned my lesson back when I was in my training that, um, yeah, the first order of business when you're evaluating somebody from a, for a concussion is to take their helmet away. <laughs> uh, and so that, that's sort of the first statement is like, I'm thinking maybe you have a concussion. I'm taking your helmet. Uh, we're going to tuck it away. And if I think you're good, you get it back again. And otherwise we're, uh, we're going to agree that you're, you're done for today. And uh, no, I haven't had any helmetless player go back on the field. <laughs> uh, so thank goodness. They're at least oriented enough, uh, you know, not, not to step between the lines without a helmet on. Uh, but, but that's, it actually is a, it's a very helpful tool to be able to say like, this is serious enough that I'm taking your helmet away and, and you're going to have to work with me here. Uh, I know you want to be on the field and, and I admire that. However, um, you know, safety and health come first. And so, uh, you know, let's sit down and talk and, and let's see what we can figure out. So yeah, so up to this point, and I'm sure it happens uh, where, where kids sneak back on fields or borrow somebody else's helmet or what have you, but <laughs> I haven't had that experience up to this point. Um, you know, there was such a national uh concern, I guess, about concussions uh, a few years ago. There were movies about it, documentaries, all this stuff, and, and launched all kinds of new research, things like that. Uh, where do we stand with that now, John, in terms of, uh, of finding more answers about concussions and then later effects? It, it, have we broken through a, a lot of new ground on that? Well, I, I'll tell you, Jerry, I mean, I think as is the case for a lot of these, um, you know, things that become hot button, you know, items, hot hot topic items, uh, there's a lot of stir about them and, and a lot of news about them um, in a window of time. And, and then, you know, things sort of settle back down again, at least as far as our frequency and talking about them and, and so forth. And I think um, it's important to note that although we don't do a lot of talking about it, 
uh, at this stage, I think it's because we've actually settled into a pretty good um, uh, time frame where programs are reliably using high level means of evaluating their kids. Um, we're, we're able to do a lot of baseline um, neurologic testing so that when people are ready to return to play that we've got some data to work off of and that's trickled down into the high schools that's helped tremendously in taking care of that population um, and I think the, the the emphasis on you know making sure that individuals who have a comfort level managing concussions are on sidelines are in offices evaluating people returning um, so that, that I think the overall, way that we're managing concussions and our general approach. And then definitely at the, at the state level, when the laws have been passed in I think all 50 states now, if not, it's pretty close, um, to, to say it is a state law that if you suspect an individual has had a concussion, you must remove them from the game and they do not return to play. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. And so as a care provider, that helped a ton just to know like, okay, the, the, the general sentiment of the you know the decision makers and and the rule makers in our country is that this really is a very important issue, and the kids are inadvertently being put in in situations where they may get further injured, um, and so even if you're suspicious, you're going to pull that person out, and you've got the backing of you know this bigger process of things to to feel comfortable that that's the right thing to do, and and certainly um, I can't tell you that I've have, have experienced sort of contentious discussions about that, but the, but that absolutely happened. You know, when you've got overly aggressive coaches who, you know, back in the day, not now, but back in the day, um, you know, that was a badge of courage and you told the kid to suck it up and they put him back in the game. And, you know, that just doesn't happen now, which is great. Um, I think at the, when you think about um, like League of Denial in the movie and the book and all of the the um, information that came out about um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the, the CTE, uh, mm -hmm. where people were getting dementia from repetitive head traumas. I mean, that work is still going on. There's still um, uh, you know, a lot of research happening up primarily in the Boston area. There are individuals who are donating their brains, um, you know, post-mortem to be analyzed and so forth. But what's curious, Jerry, I think, you know, we sort of figured that this was going to be the tip of the iceberg when Mike Webster and, and some of those early guys, um, you know, became uh, uh, noteworthy, unfortunately, as much for the CTE as they did for their football careers, right. you know, there, there was just going to be a huge number of, of people that were going to be coming forward uh, with this or were going to be developing it. And that just really hasn't been the case. So I think the, the big key from my standpoint is um, we don't understand why a relatively small number have such dramatic troubles with this and why when you think about all of the people who've played high school and college and, and professional football um, over the years um, you know why all of those individuals haven't had an issue with that and so we, we need to kind of unlock that secret that tells us why um, an individual may have a more susceptible brain and ideally from the medical side of things you'd love to be able to identify that person before they play contact sports um, and so there are, there are these biomarkers, there are other genetic, uh, we know there's some genetic predispositions like the dementia pugilistica that, that Muhammad Ali had, mm -hmm. where he became a very uh, basically developed Parkinson's disease as a function of, of his traumas over the years. We know that there's actually a pretty well-defined genetic tendency uh, that you can test for for that. So we're hoping that um, concussion and, and CTE, it's the same sort of thing so that you could counsel 
um, a young lady or a young man um, who wants to participate at a high level contact sport to say, you have some predisposition built in um, that, that may, you know, end up resulting in one of these bad consequences down the line. And that doesn't mean that you can't do this, but you need to be aware that, you know, you have some susceptibility that other people don't have. So that work is still ongoing and, and it's going to be really, really, you know, crucial to um, kind of advancing the field moving forward. But you're, uh, you're right. I mean, between the pandemic and then, you know, the other things that just catch people's attention more, um, we, we haven't done a lot of talking about concussion in, uh, in, in recent years. Yeah, I think some former Virginia uh, All-American Thomas Jones uh, has donated his brain to, to science for that very reason. Yeah. Um, some sometime way, hopefully way down the road. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's right. But uh, uh, one thing I know that has been used as a preventative measure is, uh, and I've seen it at uh, practices uh, at UVA and, and other places, but uh, is the new uh, co helmet covering called a guardian cap. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that uh, piece yeah. of equipment and, and how what it's made of, how it's effective? Yeah, so a, uh, so a guardian cap, um, I mean, the th simplest way to think about it is a guardian cap is like an airbag for your head. Um, and so it's a, uh, it's, um, a, uh, it's a fabric um, padded, padded slash cushioned um, uh, piece of equipment that um, straps onto the helmet, um, co covers the, the, the helmet uh, with like a, a good inch worth of of uh, sort of high quality, durable, um, you know, soft material. Um, and the rationale for its use then is to try to uh, fundamentally change the, the uh, degree of impact that players are experiencing when they're contacting each other's helmets um, in particular. And so, uh, so the NFL um, just released some information about their research over the last couple of years, three years, um, looking at the concussion rates in preseason camp um, in the individuals who were using the guardian cap and, you know, versus um, those who were not um, and uh, or versus, you know, prior to, uh, to, uh, to using them. And so that uh, uh, there was a greater than 50% reduction wow. of concussion rate in the individuals in the position groups that were using the, the, the guardian cap through uh, through the preseason timeframe. So the concussion rate for the individuals who weren't using them was pretty much the same as they have seen every year. Uh, but the, um, uh, but the guardian cap folks, uh, dropped the, the average rate, I think over the last three years was like 23 concussions throughout the, the teams, um, in the preseason, they dropped it to 11, uh, concussions. Man. So, um, yeah, I think there, there's some um, understandable kind of excitement about that. Um, you know, we at, at UVA, we have used Guardian Caps since 2018, I think, um, in select groups. And so though, though in most the teams who are using it, uh, I know Clemson is a strong supporter of Guardian Cap use. Um, I think Notre Dame does to a certain degree. Um but there are many schools that, that use it, but uh, primarily in the offensive and defensive linemen, just because they basically have a helmet contact every single play. Um, and then the, the kids who are going to have high velocity helmet contacts at, at a high rate uh, or a high frequency in the game. And so typically um, linebackers 
running backs, uh, tight ends. Uh, th those are those are the primary groups that are targeted for its use. And um, so, I mean, it's a it's a really you know sort of simple but interesting concept. And and I think uh, you know the numbers are what the numbers are. So we're hoping that uh, that this is an indication that 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 does um, you know mitigate the risk at least during the the practice timeframes. Um, so you know what are the counter arguments to that? Uh, well, one would be I mean any anytime you put something on a helmet or provide a, a an athlete with a piece of equipment that helps them feel more comfortable that they're not likely to have concussions, um, sometimes robs you of technique uh, because you 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 play a little more fearlessly, um, and that's all well and good in preseason when you're wearing the the guardian cap, but obviously it doesn't translate over when you're playing in a game. And so, you know, we've seen a, a significant trend in the direction, particularly of the defensive backs of trying to tackle people with their heads um, and leading with their heads rather than using good, you know, face up technique and hitting a guy and wrapping them up. And I think a lot of these like lengthy touchdowns that you see, you know, a def defensive back or a linebacker, they might've contacted the receiver may have been contacted by three or four of them in the course of the play, but they, they sort of glanced off of them because they weren't really hitting them with great technique and they weren't wrapping up. Um, so not only was that poor from a performance standpoint, but it, it absolutely puts them at risk uh, from a head trauma standpoint. So, you know, really been an effort at the NCAA level um, and a trickle down to the coaching staff and so forth to really focus on like kids need to be doing face first, head up tackling technique, um, not only for concussion risk, but for cervical spine, you know, neck injury risk. Um, but yeah, but sometimes when you put a, a protective device on somebody, you're going to get some, you know, some kids who are going to say, well, now I have, I've got carte blanche to kind of use my head however <laughs> I want, because I'm now protected. Right. That's clearly not the right answer. The, the other thing you have to take into consideration is that, um, you know, helmets, um, are designed to prevent you from breaking your skull. And, and way back in the day, back when UVA was actually instrumental in, in not having college football get banned, yeah. uh, right? Why was the public outraged? Because, you know, there were either no helmets or the leather helmets were very minimally protected and people were dying from, from playing football. And the reason that they died was because of brain trauma and, and skull fractures. So the helmet is really designed for that purpose. Um, your brain sits in fluid, um, you know, inside your skull. And so when you hit somebody, your brain is still getting rattled around, even though the, the surface is better protected. So you know, there, there will never be anything that's going to mitigate that fully. So you do, you do the best that you can. And again, the, the numbers are, are you know, pretty compelling, at least for this preseason with regard to the guardian cap. So I will imagine there'll be some some other programs that will be interested in, in giving that a try and, and trying to minimize the, the concussion rates of the kids in their, in their practices. And uh, it's hard to argue with that at this point. Wow. That's uh that was some incredible stuff, John. <laughs> I, uh, that was an education to me and I'm sure to our listeners, thank you uh, so much for taking part of your day out and giving us in-depth information about concussions and and uh, everything surrounding concussions. It's a very interesting and a controversial topic that uh, I'm sure we'll get a lot more heat this week as the Tua situation uh, reveals itself. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your information and your expertise. Thank you so much. It's always my pleasure, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Same here, John. Thank you. We'll see you soon.
Sounds great. Take care. Go Hoos. Right. Here.